Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today we are joined by Dr. Ranjit Ramasamy. He is the Director of Male Reproductive Medicine and Surgery, as well as an Assistant Professor in the Department of Urology at the University of Miami. Dr. Ramasamy is an expert in vasectomy reversal and other advanced fertility procedures for men, as well as an expert in treating sexual dysfunction, including erectile dysfunction. He is a well-published author and a sought-after speaker, and we are glad to have him join us. Thank you, Dr. Ramasamy, for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Mark. Happy to be here. So as part of our mission here on Erectile Dysfunction Radio, we try to provide high-quality information about the causes of and treatments for erectile dysfunction. Today, we want our listeners to understand more about the experience of working with a urologist to resolve erectile dysfunction. Can you tell us a bit about your practice and academic work? Sure. So I am a reproductive urologist. I uh, trained in urology at Cornell and then did a fellowship at Baylor in male sexual dysfunction and fertility. And I've been now at the University of Miami. It's about six years. And my practice primarily involves treating men with issues such as testosterone deficiency, uh, sexual dysfunction, both orgasmic, ejaculatory, as well as erectile dysfunction, and men who have issues with fertility. As a urologist, when someone who's struggling with erectile dysfunction comes to you, what does that first visit typically look like? Uh, One of the first things that we want to evaluate uh, when a man comes to us with erectile dysfunction is we want to understand if it is non-organic or psychogenic or if it is organic. Or in sometimes it can be a combination of both. With increasing exposure to television, internet, Uh, we feel like we're seeing more and more uh, men who come to our clinics with non-organic or uh, psychogenic ED. And usually, if we are able to get a good history, we are able to determine the distinction between the two. For example, a guy that walks into the office and tells us that, Doc, my erectile dysfunction started on uh, March 18th, 2020, that is often a sign of non-organic or psychogenic ED. Anytime that there is such a, such a date, such an event, something bad must have happened. And ever since then, they are uh, unable to have an erection or suffer from erectile dysfunction that usually clues us into thinking this is uh, non-organic or psychogenic erectile dysfunction. However, on the other end of the spectrum, when men tell us, Doc, it's been getting worse over the last two or three years. In the beginning, it was okay. Uh, I was able to get an erection. And then uh, it didn't last long. And then now I'm unable to get an erection. It's just been progressively declining. That mostly clues us into organic ED. And the reason this is important as a first step in a man with a history of erectile dysfunction is because the management pathways for both these conditions, I wouldn't say entirely different, but very different in terms of the approach that we take and the number of tests that we do, uh, the number of investigations that we do and even the treatment options for erectile dysfunction. So the first thing that we want to do anytime a man complains of erectile dysfunction is we want to determine uh, whether it is non-organic or psychogenic ED, 
or if it's truly because of an underlying organic cause. So what I'm gathering is that first evaluation would involve a fair amount of discussion, history taking, and exploration in terms of what the patient is reporting uh, to try to determine if this is organically based or psychogenically based. And it's something that I, I myself can appreciate because a lot of my initial evaluations, although they are for psychogenic, do involve a lot of information gathering to really determine, even within a psychogenic setting, what are the particulars that are driving at that. I think the, I think the other important thing to establish as well is to understand what the expectations are from the patient. And different people have different expectations. What is it that they are trying to achieve is also very important. And so I think during the history taking, it is important to understand, you know, what is frequency of sexual intercourse? Some men may be just happy with once a month. Some men may be happy with once a week. Some men may not be happy with three times a day. So it it is important to understand that. And then uh, we want to understand what is erectile dysfunction in their mind? Uh, some people, I've seen patients complain and say, Doc, I used to be able to last for 30 minutes. Now I'm lasting for 10 minutes. So I have ED. Uh, you know, uh, whereas some guys may say, I cannot even last for a minute or two. So understanding expectations from people is also important. And I think that's why a lot of patients get frustrated because they feel that their expectations are not being heard or not being understood completely by their treating physician. So the expectations and goal setting are also part of that initial evaluation to make sure that the patient has realistic and obtainable goals and that their expectations are not going to be beyond the scope or the reach of what is uh, reasonably feasible. Now, is it common for somebody with erectile dysfunction to visit you once Or does it usually require multiple visits to be able to reach that goal that they're trying to get to? I would say it's probably very uncommon to just see me once. Usually it requires a few visits to understand expectations and also try to determine whether the treatment or the management plan that we've come up with actually works in the patient or not. And sometimes based on treatments is when we determine whether something's working or not. So no, I'd say having just one visit is very uncommon, except that I, except in this one one really good circumstance. I see because at the University of Miami, we're, we're just so close in proximity to the uh, University of Miami undergraduate campus. I see so many young adolescents and young men with erectile dysfunction. And more often than not, from the first visit, once I sort of tell them that, that they need to get their confidence back and this is likely nothing wrong with them, they need to go figure out, seek out a new partner and try to like focus on the erection as opposed to thinking 10 other things of to, as to what may happen if they are unable to get the erection and even try, treat them with a trial of Cialis. Those patients, I literally tell them that this may be the last time that they see me because if the pills work and they're able to reset their brain and reset expectations and get back into things that they may never see me again. I'd be very happy for that. Other than that, one sector of patients, majority of patients that I see for erectile dysfunction are usually seeing me for more than once or twice. Got it. So in cases with younger patients, I would assume that very often that tends to be very clearly psychogenic. It's a lot easier to determine that right off the bat. Whereas as men age, there's increased complexity and it takes a much deeper and clearer understanding of what the factors are that are driving or contributing to the erectile dysfunction. Dr. Ramasamy, we're currently living in a telemedicine environment, which has advantages and disadvantages. 
What do you see as the benefits and limitations of this new form of medicine? Absolutely. You know, it's it's such an important concept and and so applicable to men's health and erectile dysfunction. So some of the advantages that I see are basically patients not needing to to travel, uh, to go to a doctor's office, to sort of expose themselves in front of other people, that element of embarrassment and discussion of a very sensitive topic such as erectile dysfunction can possibly happen in the confines uh, of their house and or the office. Telemedicine for uh, erectile dysfunction in that, that it helps maintain privacy, I think uh, is hugely important and hugely beneficial. The other thing that telemedicine has done, it has basically improved access to care. Patients are now able to reach out to doctors from uh, much farther away through a simple phone call and a video call and get care through telemedicine. As opposed to before, they had to rely on either urologists or internists who necessarily did not specialize in erectile dysfunction and didn't really know the in-depth treatment options for men with erectile dysfunction and had to resort to some seeing someone, quote, close by. Now with telemedicine, access to care has improved so much that I think they are able to uh, you know, reach out and obtain care from, from beyond their uh, usual confines of the geographic area. The disadvantage I see is I feel like that human connection and human touch, no matter how much we're able to overcome with technology, is missing, especially with topics such as infertility, sexual dysfunction that I deal with. Um, I feel that human confidence and the doctor confidence providing the patient saying that everything will be okay can somehow not be given through no matter what technology you have uh, with computers and phones and videos. And I think that's where uh, that element is missing. Usually I try and see as long as they are in the local area, ask patients to see me at least once. Uh, So we've established that human contact. And then I think establishing care after that through telemedicine is a great idea. Uh, But without that first initial contact, auto contact at any point in time during the care between a physician and a patient, I think is probably very important, not just in sexual dysfunction and men's health, uh, but certainly feels like even cancer, I think would be so important to establish that relationship to have that one and at least one human contact. One of the other things that comes to mind, and I'm, I'm wondering your opinion on this, is that sometimes, to my understanding, there are situations that a man either needs to be examined in person or there are certain tests that would need to be carried out. Does telemedicine present any barriers for men who maybe want to start the process but then might be uncomfortable to come in afterwards? I think the issue there is uh, sort of setting expectations and telling patients what the tests that you're planning to do are going to be useful for. And a perfect example is something called a penile Doppler, which we do in our offices. It's not done at a radiologist's office. We have to actually give an injection to obtain an erection to evaluate blood flow. And as soon as you mention the word injection and, and the penis, most patients get frightened and they're like, you know, I don't want to come in for this test. But if you sort of explain the utility, uh, that it'll help us determine issues with underlying vasculature, uh, issues with whether an injection would even work as a potential treatment option for ED, it will give us confidence and give the patient confidence that they're able to get an erection without any uh, issues with a simple low-dose injection. I think as long as you can set the expectations, set the goals, and tell the patients how the management would potentially change based on what tests you're planning to do, I think that would sort of increase the compliance from the patient standpoint immensely. 
Dr. Ramasamy, can you explain to our listeners why erectile dysfunction may, in certain circumstances, be a canary in the coal mine or a warning sign when it comes to men's health? The biggest uh, concern is erectile dysfunction is just a small signal in terms of vasculature. The uh, penis is supplied by the same blood supply by the same blood that goes to the heart, goes to the brain, goes to the other parts of the body. And if uh, erectile dysfunction happens in young men and it's truly organic in their late 30s or 40s, there are very robust population-based studies saying that it could be a silent predictor of uh, a heart attack, uh, a silent predictor of a stroke. Um, And men with erectile dysfunction have three times higher risk of developing a heart attack over their lifetime than men without erectile dysfunction. And so ED uh, often in internist offices and and primary care offices uh, gets a prescription for a PD-5 inhibitor such as Cialis or Viagra and gets dismissed. And I think the, I think it's very important if it, if it persists in a young man, it doesn't get better with PD-5 inhibitors and it's really organic we spoke a lot about organic versus psychogenic. If it's organic ED in, in a young man between in his 40s and 50s, I think other causes of underlying erectile dysfunction, such as dyslipidemia, hypertension, uh, diabetes, should all be investigated. And if there are modifiable risk factors that can be identified, they should be fixed. And the nice thing is, this, this is very well known, but often not discussed, is men hate showing up to doctor's offices. Uh, women go to doctor's offices all the time, get their health checkups routinely, but men hate going to doctors. Uh, but the one thing that will absolutely drive them to seek medical care is erectile dysfunction. They may have uncontrolled diabetes. They may have uncontrolled hypertension. They may have terrible lipids. They're not going to see the doctor. Uh, whereas if they have ED, they're going to see the doctor. And that may be the one chance for that doctor to pick up on all the other modifiable risk factors and potentially even treat those as a way to improve erectile dysfunction. Got it. So there's a you know, potential silver lining in a man experiencing erectile dysfunction, certainly if generally he's reluctant to go to a routine checkup or to deal with other medical issues. This oftentimes is something that does drive men back into the doctor's office to get resolved, and it may reveal in certain circumstances or in certain cases some other underlying issues that can be uh, medically managed or treated. Correct. Now, one of the focuses of this podcast and our website, Erection IQ, is the role of the brain in the erection process and in ED. As a urologist, what do you see as the role of the mind in this process? How common is it that erection issues are caused by or worsened by mental aspects like performance anxiety and relationship issues? We've actually seen it way more commonly now, especially post-COVID pandemic, than we've ever seen it before. Relationship struggles, partners and men and women being in the same household for extended periods of time has actually impacted sex life more than it has increased. And we are seeing several relationship struggles, divorce rates go up uh, post-pandemic. And I think it is extremely important that we consider all of those things in the treatment and and, and evaluation of erectile dysfunction. Um, And so like we talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, psychogenic ED was a slam dunk diagnosis in the young adolescent male from college or, or medical school. Uh, whereas now we're seeing a lot of, quote, psychogenic ED happening because of uh, depression, anxiety, and other mental health disorders that have happened now during the lockdown and COVID pandemic era uh, that uh, we are seeing 
men with psychogenic and non-organic ED, even in their 40s and 50s, that we did not see previously. So it seems to you that certainly over the past year, this seems to be a growing phenomenon of men who are experiencing ED that, that seems to have a stronger psychogenic component. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Can you tell us the different treatment options or the next steps that an ED patient might have after going through that evaluation process? What are some of the different pathways that men can go down in terms of treating and addressing erectile dysfunction? Let's take non-organic and psychogenic ED. I often tell them that that it's sort of a vicious cycle. Men keep thinking that they're not going to have an erection, they're not going to have an erection. They don't get an erection, they're going to keep thinking that they're not going to get an erection. They don't have an erection. And it's sort of a vicious cycle that they get trapped in that it's very hard for them to come out of, even though they have a normal normal functioning penis and a perfectly normal brain to, to, to direct it. So I think the there, the... The usual strategy that I do is usually refer the men to a sex therapist and at the same time prescribe them a trial of Cialis or Tadalafil, five milligram once a day, just to sort of in combination break the cycle. And if they're able to break the cycle, I tell them they don't need to see me again. But if they are unable to, and the combination of sex therapy and the daily Tadalafil is not working, I do want to see them in three months because maybe there is some sort of underlying vascular dysfunction that we are not picking up and that needs to get investigated. Uh, with other other uh, evaluations. In men with uh, organic ED, the American Urological Association actually has very good guidelines on treatment of erectile dysfunction with a shared decision-making approach. And this is new uh, since 2018, uh, because prior to that, there was advocacy for stepwise therapy for men with ED. And usually the first line is uh, lifestyle and behavioral modifications with modifiable risk factors, uh, with changing antihypertensives, antidepressants, controlling blood sugar, controlling lipids, and so on. And then the, uh, in addition to that, was a, if you fail that, then you were going to go on to try PD-5 inhibitors such as Cialis or Viagra or Levitra. And then if you fail that, then the second line, uh, third line inject- uh, treatments were intracavernosal injections, intraurethral suppositories, and vacuum erection devices. And then if you fail that, You'd, you could discuss a penile prosthesis, which is a surgery for treatment of erectile dysfunction uh, with urologists. So uh, now the AUA uh, has modified this into a shared decision-making approach uh, where uh, doctors and patients can talk about all these treatment options at the same time, as long as this is men with organic ED. If you've determined that this is organic, I think it's certainly reasonable to discuss all of the treatment options at the same time. Uh, men are no longer forced to try and fail one therapy at a time uh, before they move on to the next line. So a young man who's 40, uh, who has had profound diabetes all his life, has pretty severe erectile dysfunction. I am not hesitant to discussing a penile prosthesis because I know he's young. He's need, he's going to, he has a young partner and he's going to need a sex life for 30 plus years. And so discussing a penile prosthesis with him is not a bad option. We don't need to start with uh, PDE5 inhibitors and sort of use that stepwise approach. Got it. So I want to make sure that I and the listeners are understanding there, there clearly are a number of treatments available. And what I'm gathering is that previous guidance around treatment was to go through a progression and as men progressed, if the treatments were not effective, they could kind of advance to the next stage of treatment all the way up to and including um, a prosthetic implant. 
now what I'm gathering from you is there is more flexibility for organic patients to be able to have some input and choice um, as to what the best treatment might be given their circumstances. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. I'm wondering from your perspective, what does success or a best case outcome look like when an ED patient visits you? And I know that you, you mentioned already that everybody's goals are a little bit different, but if you had to put it into a general terms, how would you describe a success or a best case outcome? Best case is doc. You've changed my whole life around, uh-huh. but more often than not, I actually, unfortunately, don't see those patients back. If if I have fixed uh, their uh, erectile dysfunction problem, uh, more often than not, uh, they have disappeared from my radar. Uh, They're happy somewhere, and I'm just happy. If if it continues to be a a problem and persists, you know, then then I still keep seeing them. But if I don't see them, uh, then I'm sort of uh, confident that they that their problems have been fixed. The patients that I do truly see back and, and, and give me feedback are the patients who we have done surgery on for penile prosthesis. So obviously I see them in follow-up and make sure that everything is healing okay and the implant is functioning well. And those patients come back and give me very good feedback that, uh, you know, that life has changed and, and their partners and them are extremely happy with the uh, surgical outcome. Now, actually at the University of Miami, we are doing a clinical trial uh, with both uh, two regenerative forms of uh, therapies for uh, erectile dysfunction. Uh, one is uh, shockwave therapy, uh, which is high energy ultrasound delivered to the penis. And the other uh, is using PRP or P-shot or platelet-rich plasma as uh, two injections uh, from the patient's own blood. Uh, the growth factors are spun down and injected inside the penis uh, for a series of two injections. So because these are clinical trials, uh, we see these patients in follow-up, and uh, and obviously, if it works, they come back with uh, with uh, lots of enthusiasm and joy, and are very happy and are very appreciative that they were able to get uh, these treatments that could potentially reverse the underlying erectile dysfunction that they have, and they don't need to depend on pills or injections to achieve an erection. So what I'm hearing from you is that satisfied patients, when you get that feedback, you're saying that is the best case outcome for you as a provider. In many instances, though. Um, if the treatments do not require a follow-up, if they're not part of a study or if they uh, don't need follow-up after a prosthetic implant, you may never hear from them again because they've solved it and they're off living their life. I also really appreciate you mentioning these two forms of treatment that that I, I don't know if they are FDA approved. I don't know if they're widely available, if they're, if they're under some kind of study, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand that treatments for erectile dysfunction are continually being researched and developed. And there, there is reason to be hopeful and optimistic that even if some of the treatments have not been successful, there are many good people working on developing more and more ways to be able to help men resolve erectile dysfunction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, all of the treatments that we talked about for erectile dysfunction are sort of uh, a patch. Uh, they don't really cure, they don't reverse the underlying pathophysiology of erectile dysfunction. And so therefore, the, the regenerative therapies offer a lot of hope. It is important to note that none of the regenerative therapies are FDA approved. It is widely available, however, on an off-label basis from physicians, sometimes non-urologists, sometimes non-doctors. And so patients truly should investigate what they're getting and what they're going to be paying for 
because unfortunately men with the ED is a vulnerable population uh, that can be uh, used upon, if I might say. So therefore it's important for patients to understand what they're signing up for, what they're getting, and not to be office offered a promise of voodoo medicine uh, with uh, these regenerative therapies. But at the University of Miami, we have two IRB approved protocols. It's a clinical trial. If patients do qualify for the trial after the initial evaluation, do not charge them. And so uh, it is important for patients to truly seek out clinical trials in their area to try and get these therapies because these are truly on the horizon. Uh, going to be a while before they get FDA authorization, uh, but at least it offers a promise of cure, if not permanent, at least even a temporary cure for the underlying erectile dysfunction. And I appreciate you sharing that uh, with our listeners. And I hope to be able to cover these topics in future podcasts to really, again, deliver more specific um, information to men about what these treatments are, are all about. Dr. Ramsamy, what have you learned from the many men that have come to you who are dealing with erectile dysfunction? Every man is different. Every penis is different. Every expectation is different. And to try and use this one treatment approach for every guy with erectile dysfunction often doesn't work. Uh, and I think uh, physicians should be aware of the wide armamentarium of the treatment options that are available to men with erectile dysfunction and sort of move towards a personalized medicine approach, individualized treatment care planning, as opposed to just giving out uh, pills and PD-5 inhibitors to all men with ED. Some patients like it, some patients don't, and different people respond to different therapies differently based on their expectations and their underlying medical conditions. So if I've learned one thing over all these years in treating men with ED, I think uh, it is important to understand uh, clearly what the expectations are from the patient and offer personalized treatment approaches uh, based on their underlying problem, what the underlying cause and etiology of the erectile dysfunction is, and what their uh, ultimate expectations are of them and their partner. Dr. Amasami, do you have any final thoughts that you would want to share with our listeners? I think it's important for men with ED to understand that there is hope, both in terms of treatment, fixing their uh, underlying problem, uh, and resolving the condition. Uh, it is important for men to seek out proper medical care um, and not uh, go after uh, radio and TV ads uh, that may sometimes be legit, but sometimes may just be taking advantage of their underlying condition and their vulnerability. Uh, so I think if I'm going to leave uh, the listeners with uh, some sort of parting message, ED is, is, a, is a medical condition just like hypertension, diabetes, and high cholesterol. Uh, so seek out uh, medical care. And like yourself, don't be afraid to speak with a sex therapist uh, because so much of erectile dysfunction uh, is not just in the penis. Uh, the brain has to control uh, the penis and, and how it works. And I think that's, that's probably the most important message that I'd like to convey. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I have learned and benefited from, from the expertise that you have provided here, as I'm sure our listeners have. Now, we have listeners all over the country and really all over the world at this point. If men would like to get in touch with your practice, certainly if they are within your treatment uh, radius or region, would it be okay if we leave a link to your website or some contact info um, in the uh, podcast notes? Absolutely. So, um, they can email me. Uh, it's probably the best way to reach me. It's my last name, 
Ramasamy, R-A-M-A-S-A-M-Y at miami.edu. Uh, if they are in the area, we're happy to see them in person. But I think we touched upon this, Mark, before about uh, telemedicine. Thanks to the pandemic, we're able to actually see patients from across the 50 states. And we generally take most insurances. And so um, even if you're living in California, uh, if you have an insurance that uh, that is able to uh, cross over to Florida, uh, we're able to see patients from other states as well via virtual visits. Thank you very much. And we look forward to hosting you on a future podcast as well. Perfect. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.